Hello, Jamie. All right, Matt. And welcome, everybody. <laughs> Jamie, are you a bit under the weather? A little bit. Oh, diddums. Right, I know what will perk you up. Why don't you introduce us and who we are, where we're from, and what we're doing today? This is 9 to when. Jamie. <laughs> This is 90 When, the podcast for business owners that just don't stop. Brought to you by Iwaka. And he's back in the room. Well, in physically, yes, but perhaps not in spirit. So to those of you joining us, Jamie just had a flu jab yesterday, and he is being a bit like a child that didn't get a lollipop after he visited the doctors. Just a bit poorly, that's all. It's okay. We all sympathize Thank with you. very small violins. <laughs> um, Thank you for that sympathy, Matt. But let's just, um, you can jump straight in. What is our news story of the week? News of the week. Oh, so the FSB, the Federation of Small Businesses, has called for help in tackling small business crime. Mm, small business crime, is that a prevalent thing? Well, it, the research they've just carried out, a new, well, a new report they've carried out, does reveal that um, the crime and its impact on businesses in, in the Northeast, in Yorkshire, is about two-fifths of uh, small firms in that area have been a victim of traditional crime. That's well, so like 40-something percent of businesses in the area have had a crime happen to them. Yeah, including things like theft, criminal damage um, and assault, which is probably, uh, not probably, is definitely the top of the list on severity there. Um, yeah, that's terrible. Imagine if two in five people were experiencing a crime wait in their lifetime would two in five people experience a crime in their lifetime couldn't tell you don't know the stats i'd say it's probably quite likely but who knows um meanwhile you've got around 18 percent of uh, small businesses in the region saying they've been hit at least by some sort of cyber cyber crime (laughs) i can barely say the word (laughs) cyber crime (laughs) Um, they stole my cider (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all going horribly wrong, including phishing, malware, data theft. So various types of uh, IT related to cybercrime. Um, basically, the FSB's called on government uh, to tackle the crime against small businesses um, as a priority and try and plug. And this is the, the a crazy stat. They've estimated it being around a £17 billion pound hole that's caused by crime. So plugging that £17 billion being lost in the economy every year as a result of this crime. That must be so annoying as a business. Like, you're, you're, you're making... <laughs> you don't some, say. Yeah, yeah, 17 wh- billion. Go, oh, just, just I lost it on the sofa. Well, it's not one individual who oh, has right. 17 billion. But you imagine this small business, small businesses, and you're trying to make a, you're trying to make some headway. You're trying to, you, you know, you're getting, you're getting going. You're, you're having a good, um, you're having a good season. And then all of a sudden, bam, you've been stolen. And like, you, well, you've not been <laughs> stolen. That would be like a strange that, version of that taken. Would be, that'd be um, kidnapped. Yeah, no, your your business has stuff stolen. It, um, it must completely. Oh, the, the, the impacts on the business, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, the lack of the loss of trust. It's going to be an enormous, um, enormous buffer, like bump in anyone's road. Um, you mentioned there, you know, saying two out of five businesses have uh, had some sort of crime. The, uh, the overall stat for the whole of the country. So that was just solely in the northeast for the whole of the country. In the last two years, the research found that almost half of small businesses in the England and Wales have been victims of crime, one sort or another. 
which is basically a casual two and a half million small businesses have been victims of some sort of crime. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a bit scary, really. Mm. Do we live in such a criminal society? Or do people just particularly not like small businesses? I don't know. I think when you when they're classifying here, they're classifying all crime. So that's ranging from everything, as mentioned before, like theft and assault. But I think that also goes all the way down to uh, small... Shoplifting. Shoplifting. And I call shoplifting small, and I know the impact it can have on a business. If everyone's putting something in their pocket, that's a lot of money you're losing. But in the grand scheme of things, in terms of someone's coming in for armed robbery versus taking a Mars bar, it's going to be skewed slightly, I think, where there'll be lots of people stealing Mars bars, but you'd hope not very many armed robberies, as opposed to the other way around. Are they all (laughs) ten-year-olds? In my head, yes. Uh, That's the only people that steal chocolate, in my mind. My sister steals toilet roll. I'm putting that out there. She, she from is, you or from, no, from, from businesses uh, to unnamed supermarkets she may she doesn't steal it intentionally but she but will you, how does one accidentally steal oh quite casually you just pop it on the back of your trolley you hang the toilet roll on the back of the trolley when you get to the checkout you don't put it on the uh, the conveyor you walk your trolley past the person in the booth and they just don't notice it I've I've witnessed this. Is this an intentional plan? Well, I don't know, but I I say is steal in a very loose sister loose a kleptomaniac. Well, I think she's never paid for toilet roll in her life, which is <laughs> an interesting right. skill. But that you do if everyone were doing that, then that would impact small businesses on that, uh, very severely. But it also makes the figures much mm. wider, and I think that's where the fifty percent of business comes in. I think the um, I think the cyber uh, stats so those eighteen percent of businesses this is again in the northeast um, have had some form of cyber crime against them. That's quite an interesting one because uh, if someone wants to break like smash through your windows and steal some stuff or etc. Then there's yeah. there's very limited things that you can really do. Like you can get more locks and stuff, but it's like cyber crime seems like a really the most preventable one. I'd say the other way around. Entirely. You reckon? Oh, absolutely. Simply because of lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, in that you know that you can add an additional deadbolt or a lock to a physical door and it will make it more secure. So you know what to do and you know how to do it. But a lot of business owners, and not even just business, a lot of people in the, in the country and the world haven't got a massive grasp on IT security. You know, we trust to McAfee, uh, other brands are available, Matt's caveat. McAfee to give you protection. This is the, the antivirus. The antivirals that you can get. <laughs> antivirals? Sure, we're calling them that. <laughs> right, okay, stay on topic. Jump, jumping, <laughs> yeah. All right, stay on topic. You, you can get antivirus softwares and you trust that that does the job. So if you're running a business and you just do exactly the same and think, well, that's fine, I'll just get one of these, it might not be fit for purpose of exactly what you're doing in the business. But you're not to know that because you don't have an education in IT security. Yeah, but then you also have a lot of, a lot, and again, I wish I had the stats in front of me, of cybercrime is phishing. It's the, hey, open this email. It's the, I've got a cousin who's been stuck on the Russian... Well, you got those types, not the phishing types. But yeah, the, hey, uh, important invoice attached for you. Yeah. That you just click through. Um, personally, I've always been a fan of the my, my cousin's stuck on the International Space Station, send some money and we can help get him back. I've always thought, whoever clicks through those, they deserve to lose the money. In my I mean, opinion. they are great stories. They <laughs> Honestly, the creative, uh, the creative knack 
marred, like not marred, like paired with the um, the really cruddy execution just makes for it's brilliant, brilliant, isn't it? But Someone should make a book uh, of it. It is, I say, it is, un, you can get around it by not opening emails that uh, you don't know the sender to. Definitely don't click links or go onto attachments if you've not at least checked where the page it's trying to take you to is. Um, or easiest method, as we would all do uh, in like in the company here is you call the sender and say did you send me this uh, and get in touch with them and say did you actually send me this and if they say no our, our systems have been hacked brilliant you've saved yourself a lot of problems mm. um, I think the uh, the thing that uh, the takeaway that I've um, really incorporated into my daily life is lastpass.com it's very handy where you just aggregate all your and, and, and keep one central location for all your passwords and then whenever you need a new password you just click generate and it generates like this uncrackable code and then it stores it in the folder and so long as you don't lose the last pass <laughs> email your uh, password you're all right i have lost it before and it's painful bit, yeah i would say but not as painful as getting all my stuff robbed from yeah cyber. it's pretty handy um, looking at the broad scheme of things, though, so I say that's focusing on cybercrime. The general stats, it is concerning to see this. And, you know, the, this, what, seven and a half, no, they, their estimates are 7.7 .7 million crimes committed each year against smaller businesses. So it's just absolutely devastating, as you touched upon at the start, is where that the impact that's going to have on the person, let alone the business, um, the loss of earnings. If you're a small business, small firm, being closed for a, a week is hard enough. We've talked about it before where business owners aren't going on holiday um, so to be able to not be able to trade because of uh, robbery because of criminal action is you know is a concerning place to be I think um, I say it doesn't not, make for a nice society doesn't make for a nice society not the most charming upbeat news story we've ever had hmm. um, but it's not Brexit so I'll count it as a win yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, and actually, what just one one final little tidbit of information. Um, when we were putting this story together, we had an Ocado delivery, and the Ocado uh, Ocado van driver's van got stolen. Yeah, literally today in About, central London. Uh, yeah, I pretty much watched it happen this morning as I came in. Uh, <laughs> he, the chap. Um, not quite right um, by the sounds of it and was having a bit of a bad day had popped into the building here and asked them to call the police they said you can find them at the train station he then pretty much walked across the road got in an Ocado van and drove off um, who did? weird the, the, this chap who'd asked for the police to be called it's a very strange decision by his point but he how do you a, mean he I thought his van was stolen no no the, the thief mm. came into the building and asked them to call the police then went to Cafe Nero and got kicked out of there by staff and then walked across the road got in the Ocado van and drove off gosh um, a few things wrong with that though in terms of criminal decisioning he's been caught already the police have now have already said oh we've caught presumably him presumably because he called the police no I think more that he got in a an Ocado van that was tracked in central London and proceeded straight onto Tottenham Court Road which is basically a car park at all hours and got all the way to Camden. So he managed to make it about two miles before they caught up with him um, in, wow. a, in a green Ocado van, which is pretty obvious. Like, yeah. He's not a genius, let's put it that way, but it's still, it's just ruined the, the driver's day. He's going to get a disciplinary because he left a key in the ignition. Oh. Uh, it's all sorts of fun and games, isn't it? It's all the paperwork no one wants to do and all the hassle that you shouldn't have. So if we could all be nicer to each other, that'd be great. Yeah. Crime, don't pay. <laughs> 
Small businesses, though, they pay. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, innovations, Jamie. You've perked up a bit now. What phantasmal innovation have you got for us this phantasmal, week? Phantasmal, like, yes. goes through walls. Yes. I've got the... Um, sorry, I'm just giving you a hard time because I'm grumpy. I'm like a uh, crocodile with a toothache. Uh, I have... Um, I, I've read a really interesting article on the BBC this morning which is about how flying electric taxis are going to be here by the 2030s. The 2030s? 2030s. Okay. And the article was like, well, why not sooner? Question mark. <laughs> well, they haven't even perfected electric cars yet, so give them a chance. Well, I think the electric cars are doing all right. But yeah, there's actually, I didn't know this, but there's more than 100 companies developing eVTOL aircraft, which is electronic vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Yeah. Um, there's ones including Germany's Volocopter, which will be able to have a range of about 22 miles. Sorry? 22 miles? Yep, it can fly for 22 miles. That's before terrifying. It could just about get over the channel. You muck it up and you are in the water. Unfortunately, I don't think they're doing channel crossings. Uh, I mean, how far do you generally travel in a taxi? That couldn't that? get me home. Again, do you take a taxi home? Well, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> when yes. you've missed the last train. <laughs> yes, but... Okay, to, like, more importantly, not do I take the t a taxi home. When the taxi driver gets to my home, what does he then do? She then do? What do they do? Drop you off. Yeah, but that's if it's 22 miles, then they're going to have to refuel, aren't they? I, I know it's early prototype. I, I, I think, I think it's yeah. only meant to be for uh, city centres okay. for going from... Uh, the city, you know, so city of London, yards away. Yeah. not a hundred yards away, just, but there are other ones, right? So, all right, Mr. Cynical, there are, <laughs> there's another one, which is, um, uh, another one by Germany is called Lilium and okay. it has wings. So it takes off vertically, its wings come out and it can go for 185 miles. Ooh. Uh, there's also uh, a UK one called vertical aerospace, which would be a hundred miles, which is probably a little bit more along the lines of what you're thinking about. Yeah, pop to, pop to Paris for the weekend. Would you use it? Would like so? If do they we get, need them? Do well, we need they, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft? Absolutely, yes. There's no question in that. That is, if we can't have hover cars, then we need flying cars. These are things that I don't even know why you're asking this question. Is if you can make a flying taxi, I would buy one and paint over it and just have it as a flying car. It would be amazing. I think going to the shops and not hitting any traffic. Oh, blissful. But you did point out where do where do they land? That's a big question, oh, and this one that the article raises. They want, I imagine. What? <laughs> wherever they want or need to, I imagine. <laughs> With a twenty-two mile range, you're going to be coming down wherever you are, aren't you? <laughs> Parking here. <laughs> but, oh, I don't know. Uh, I just it, it it's. Um, what happened to um, drone taxis? Well, I think so. They're saying vertical takeoff, electric. So is this is this still the drone model if they do? Because if you're thinking Harrier jump jet as a vertical takeoff vehicle, God, could you imagine Harrier jump jets all around London? Well, I know that's jet engine, so that's that's a noisy, mad aircraft of a thing, and they're brilliant, brilliant engineering in terms of engineering. But it can only be drones, surely. So it's an electrically you know, fan operated almost drone aircraft because they started doing those in Dubai and other concepts were coming out there of um, drone taxis, drone emergency services. So they were looking at ways to have automated, unmanned, almost ambulances 
that you could send out to people in instead of having a helicopter air ambulance you'd have a drone air ambulance yeah so you send it out and a person gets put in on a stretcher and then the drone just flies them to the hospital Oh, that's pretty clever. The thought process being that if it worked, fine, then brilliant. Um, well, these work, vehicles then... are v- much less complicated than helicopters. Mm. Uh, they don't need all the gearboxes. They don't need anything like yeah. that. It is like, as you say, a big drone. It's, oh, so it's the same sort of thing. I, okay. I think so. Some of them, I mean, there's a hundred different people who are working on this. And we'll get different things. Yeah, yeah there's going to be different versions. But you, you know that big players like Uber for instance, are trying to get in into this space and you know that they're working a lot on autonomous cars as well. So you would expect autonomous, very light vehicles, very quiet. Um, yeah. <laughs> Your Uber's here. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Just, um, just hovers beside you. Yeah. yeah. Worryingly, though, Uber just said, well, uh, flying taxi services only need to be safer than a driving car, perhaps twice as safe. That's fair. I don't see the, the issue with that. What... How do you how are you benchmarking safety? Well, I would. How many car crashes are there? Okay, then you just need half as many plane crashes, and you're right. I would rather not have that many plane crashes. I see. Where do you put the line? You've got to have a line somewhere. Things not falling out of the sky when yeah, I'm but walking. That's going to be inevitable, isn't it? Because if you, if everyone starts flying around, then after a time, then that will happen. Then why do we need to do that for it'd be saving? Amazing! It was so much fun. Mm. It's the only way to get around the current problem that we have in the country, in the world, where population numbers keep going up, infrastructure can only get so big, and eventually you've got to use more than a 2D landscape to be able to actually support this amount of people and support the traffic flow that everyone wants. So if you can only make the roads eight lanes wide, but you can make them 100 lanes high, then you build yourself up. Yes, that's not necessarily a good thing, though. It's a necessity as opposed to whether it's good or bad, though. If, if, <laughs> if they don't build flying vehicles, you can quite comfortably in, imagine that in 15 years, 20 years, uh, the state of the roads will be car parks everywhere. The M25 would be at a standstill. Why the can't everybody time. cycle? Because no one does that, because... As much as if you're doing short distances, that's fine. From a business perspective, moving goods and services, uh, goods and services, and moving between geographical locations to visit other businesses, you need to be on the roads in most situations, unless you can use public transport. But then, even when you get there, if it's uh, away from the train station, you still need to use some sort of road transport. Um, and if people you look at back at the '90s. Uh, the roads in the 90s, there were less speed limits, there were no speed cameras, there were less vehicles on the roads. You didn't need those things. You could go out on the streets and play as a kid. Certain streets. But, <laughs> yeah, but now you've got flying <coughs> aircraft hitting you. Well, that's fine. They'll be no, they're not going to be on the ground, though, are they? They're not going to be flying at six foot at head height, ready to come along with their wings and hurt you. How are businesses going to use them, then? Exactly the same way they use cars, travelling around to visit other businesses, taking goods and services around the country, doing what they do best, innovating. But you can't, you can't say this is it, this is what we've got. In fact, we're going to go backwards and we're all going to go back to bicycles. I think we should pause. But pausing just keeps us stuck on oil, so we need to move somewhere. <laughs> I think it's after a point you have to change and adapt, and if that is flying vehicles, then brilliant. All you'll have to do is occasionally sweep up a drone from your garden and call an ambulance. It'll be fine. 
What do you think, listeners? Flintstones or Jetsons? What Jetsons. <laughs> no question. I mean, send your emails, but I've, I've decided. Well, way into the topic because I'm I'm not obviously not getting very far with this one. Send us an email at podcast at iwaka.co.uk and we can debate it more. Uh, okay, you feel very passionately about I'm this very thing. passionate yeah, about, about flying cars. Flying cars. Well, Jeremy Clarkson in me comes right out when we talk about anything exciting and to do with cars. That's it. I remain, Power. I remain unconvinced that it's right. nothing more than an extravagance. But, but It'll be great. Well, you can cycle somewhere and I'll fly. I'm just going to take the tube like I normally take. Not a problem. All right. Great. Uh, marketing. That's <sighs> something we can talk about, oh, right, isn't joy, it? That's something yes. you're passionate about. That is something I'm passionate about. So we have a lovely section now called Marketing Explained, where I quiz Jamie about different marketing <clears throat> topics, um, test his knowledge, and hopefully give out a few pieces of insight uh, to business owners out there on what type of marketing you can do, what marketing is, what different marketing terms are. And today, I wanted to talk about what is content marketing. Mm, thank you, Matt. Well, as the head of content marketing, Hopefully you know. I would, uh, yeah, one would assume that I know. Right, content marketing is the principle of using content. What's content, Jamie? Content can be anything it can be written articles, it can be videos, it can be podcasts like this, um, as a means of communicating with your customer base. Now, the reason that it's become important in this day and age is because uh, traditionally, brands used to talk about themselves, used to talk about the product, used to talk about what they sold, like, oh, it was all me, 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 me. And now today's consumers are like, well, why do I care who you are? Why do I care what you've got to offer? Like, what? how can I have a relationship with you when all you're trying to do is cynically sell? So content marketing came about as a way of offering value to uh, customers by giving them interesting pieces of information or content or articles or videos or anything that they would find valuable as a means of generating a connection, generating a relationship, and thereby... Uh, creating this goodwill and positivity which would turn into products down the line. Very nicely, concisely explained. Uh, <laughs> you right there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like an interview all over again, isn't it? Um, so pushing, this con pushing content out to your, to your audience, to your customer base, your potential customer base, uh, you say you can do your video, you can do your text, whatever you're comfortable with to a point, and then maybe crossing barriers to to work in different areas like social media as you're going to do different things there. Like how do you know what type of content to direct to what type of customer and in what avenues or what or you would call it channels, what mm -hmm. channel you would use? The the channels that you use for your content will largely be determined by the industry that you're in and, and more generally whether you're B2B or B2C. So where your customers are? In B2B, what you usually do is you're focusing very much on the people, the businesses that are going to buy your product, um, which is usually like a piece of service or a piece of software, and trying to find the pain point that they have in their lives. So like, oh, I can't manage all my different teams in one location, and create uh, valuable assets which they then download and provide some data, like an email address, in re in response for in, in return for your thought leadership, and therefore you then get them, you get their contact data, um, contact information, and you start selling to them directly. That's like a classic way to do B two B. B two C is more about 
how can you use your content to make people aware of you? So writing articles that um, focus on SEO, for instance, search engine optimization, which we've covered in a previous episode, that sort of content can be useful to consumers. It might be interesting and then it might start to rank and then all of a sudden they're on your website and et cetera and they're starting to read more about what you've got and then you make a sale as a result of that. Or it could be just general opinion forming brand perceptions. Innocent Smoothies is a really good example of this with their social media content. Really cheeky, tone of voice, really funny, does lots of jokes. People love it. And people go, oh, yeah, they're a great brand. So on that as well, though, you say you know, you're looking towards what's interesting so for consumers so business to consumer. But then you've surely got to take that into account when you're working with businesses because people run businesses. They're not faceless entities so do you would you you know as a business you'd still put content out on facebook on instagram where people are probably more likely to spend their personal time if they're using social media in a workplace for example like in a workplace you'd consider something like linkedin to be businessy and facebook to be social and friend zone not businessy so you're saying you'd still put the content out for b2b to those more relaxed social platforms as well no, not necessarily. I think that the the biggest mistake that you can make with content marketing in general is that you try to become the Wall Street Journal or the new you know the New York Times or Esquire or, or anything like that, and you just try try and become a publisher, and you you just go to all your different channels and you start putting loads of stuff out and you start writing anything like. 10 handy hints for X and da 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 and it doesn't really work. You need to really focus in on a few things that you think will work specifically, like a few channels that you've, you've got an inkling or you've done research that could be successful and double down on those and come up with something that will really add value above and beyond the noise. So start small, build from there. Yeah. If, start, if you're not, gonna, not done anything to now, start small, start small. Absolutely. Start small, focus on a couple of channels, focus on as I say, SEO or lead generation or, or social if you've got a strong, connect or a strong connection and just go, right, how can I make this truly unique for the area industry that I'm in? How can I make other people talk about me as a result of that? So a fun one, uh, so you just, as you say, like you've got to talk to your audience, you've got to make sure you're in the right channels. How do, you, how do you track it? How do you check on your return on investment? If you're putting this time in and this money, how can business owners be sure that they're getting good returns because if it's some of it's just brand building and making people aware of who you are it's not necessarily going to be it's not going to be quick sales typically it can be a more long term so do people have to taper their expectations or can you expect returns straight away like what if you've never done content marketing what should be your expectation on any kind of returns content marketing is definitely a marathon not a sprint and so within two hours is fine. Go on, Tom. <laughs> yes, a, a longer marathon and oh, okay. you're not Eliud Kapoje. Uh, <laughs> but that is actually a really good example of um, content marketing. I mean, who had heard of Ineos before they started sponsoring Sky? Uh, not Sky. They didn't sponsor Sky. Teams, formerly Team Sky yeah. Cycling, now Team Ineos. And uh, Kapoje's um, two-hour record-breaking um, marathon. All right, slightly longer marathon then. Right? Okay, slightly, slightly longer, longer marathon. marathon. Right, Ultra you. marathon. Okay. okay, so like yes. ten hours. Yes. I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. Right. A year. A year. A year is a good bet to see if okay. you've got return on investment. 
some things will be the exactly measuring return on investment from things that are more brandy is always inherently difficult it's a challenge that everybody has like should i put my name out there um if so how do i know that this is driving sales it's very very difficult and also quite industry specific to see how you, how you can do how you can attribute return on investment uh, and revenue to it so i won't go into the details of that but um there's a lot of resources out but there. But it takes some time. It takes a long time. Yeah. But with content, especially in the B2B sector, and that's more immediately beneficial for people, you can start to see return on investment quite easily. So again, let's say business to business, you do a lead um, magnet, which is like a piece of high valuable information that people provide data for. Mm-hmm you'll quite quickly be able to see if your sales team are starting to convert people as a result of that, and then you can attribute that sale directly back to the content. So there's ways and means. There's so many resources out there um, that you can get stuck into, and we'll link to a few in the show notes so you can have a look for yourself. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Jamie. No worries, Matt. And now for Brilliant or Bonkers. Hey! Yay! Where we look at inspirational quotes from all around this big, wide world and decide whether they are brilliant or bonkers for small businesses. And, um, Matt, I believe you've gone back in time for this one, haven't you? I have gone back in time. Well, I mean, we're always going back in time because a quote is inherently what somebody has previously said, right? but you're going even further back in time. I got caught in a really weird like temporal loop there. Are we going back in time? I'm pretty sure we're going forward. Are we going is time real? I don't know. Um, yeah, so I'm going back. <laughs> <laughs> Snap out of it, Matt. <laughs> I'm going back to the Greek uh, the Greek times, so ancient Greece. Oh, the so the time, <laughs> not just the Greek times in general. Yeah, the great Greek times. Uh, ancient Greece, move, going back almost as far as Socrates. Wow. So, in fact, this chap was a pupil of Socrates. Really? Um, I'm going to butcher his name now. Uh, Antisthenes. 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 If anybody knows how to say his name, it would be greatly appreciated. Leave us a voice message on Anchor. That would be good. It makes the quote less impactful now. Um, So, he was a pupil of Socrates, um, philosopher, first learned rhetoric under Gorgias, uh, before becoming an ardent uh, disciple of Socrates. Okay. So, pretty big I say big credentials. He's being held up by a few big names here. I always find it amazing that we've got this history. I still don't know how people have figured this out. Was he actually a pupil of Socrates? Who knows? It was nearly two and a half thousand years ago. It's probably best guess. But the quote he's given us is, uh, well, I quite like it. I'll see what you think, um, see what your thoughts on the matter are. It goes as such. As iron is eaten away by rust, so the envious are consumed by their own passion. Mm. So once again, uh, as iron is eaten away by rust, so the envious are consumed by their own passion. So this is about jealousy and envy and mm. the detrimental effects of it. Yeah, so it's really apt as to what we've, what's happened recently in that we had our Mental Health Awareness Week uh, and World Mental Health Awareness Day. I just It, it struck a nice little uh, tone with me that even then there was knowledge that being jealous, being envious of people was bad for you. It was not a good place to be. It wasn't a good frame of mind to be in 
Has anybody re-owned it, though, like Greed is Good, like Gordon Gecko? Do you think there's any possible argument for Envy being a good thing? Like so Greed Spurs- is Good is more... Uh, you know, is a love of capitalism as opposed to, I suppose. So it's, it depends on what philosophy you're talking about. So um, with Antisthenes, he was uh, a learner. He was actually founded the Cynic Movement. No, uh, he didn't. He did. Um, no. <laughs> oh, dear, I just realised <laughs> what you're doing. Oh, <laughs> Matt, how did you drop fall into that one? <laughs> So, okay, so he, he was regarded as the founder of the Cynic Movement. I'm just going to no, ignore he your wasn't, responses. he wasn't, mate. Yes, he was. He's behind you. <laughs> um, do you know where Cynic comes from? Where, what, what a Cynic is and where being a Cynic comes from? Obviously, you know what a Cynic is. You've just used it very well. I, um, I know where the word comes from, actually. Right. Um, it actually means dog or dog-like. So it's really not a compliment that he was the founder of Cynicism. No, um... From my somewhat fuzzy memory of ancient Greek stuff, the cynics were um, renounced all worldly possessions and uh, were a bit like the Stoics. They were actually the precursor to the Stoics. And um, they, that didn't really go down very well with the, the Athenian elite or the Hellenic elite um, who called them dog-like, um, which is where it comes from. That's where yeah. cyni- cynicism comes from. Mm. So there you go. Thank you very much. Well remembered. It's kind of kind of reeling back some sort of like Socrates, Plato stuff quick, going quick, on. Quick, quick, um, yes. I I like it, right? I'll, I'll give you. I mean, obviously, it's quite hard to disagree with. Everybody yeah. everybody says jealousy is bad. I think it's quite interesting to see if jealousy is actually good in a business context. If you're jealous of your competition, does that spur you on to do more? I say no because all you ever do then is what they've just done. If you're if you're jealous of someone, then you're only you're going to get to a point where you're always one step behind them because you're always looking and thinking, isn't their stuff better? Right, we've got to do better. We've got to do more. We've got to do it now. And then every you're always comparing yourself to them, uh, and you're always going to be one step behind them, as opposed to going away and doing something your own way, and doing it for your own reasons. You're doing it to try and get ahead of someone else. But and isn't there always levels though? Like. Otherwise, if you were completely unenvious of anything in this world... Oh, I think you should be jealous of people to a point, but then you should see it as a positive and something to push you on in a positive light, as opposed to being jealous for jealous' sake and uh, lusting over their, their, you know... Goods. Their goods and their, uh, and their success. You should take the learnings from it and say, OK, why am I jealous of it? Okay, because it's a fantastic, if you're talking content, fantastic piece of content. Uh, Okay, how can I go and do something that I think is equally as brilliant or take what they've done and adapt it to make it better? But don't continually chase after that other firm, but Mm -hmm. continually being jealous of them. So if I was to reimagine what you've just said in the words (laughs) of the quote, it's not rather than the iron that's eaten away by rust, it's like the copper that gets a nice tarnish because of the weather. Mm, yeah, potentially. Get tarnished as opposed to be eaten away. Don't uh, don't allow yourself to oxidise too much. It's uh, how far can we continue this metal? Um, but that's it. Is I, li- I do like the um, the crossover that he just gives a nice physical comparison. Um, you know, ni- nice metaphor of the uh, the rust eating away the nail. Just because if you weren't quite sure of what he was talking about with regards to envy and passion, then you you soon are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
All right, okay. Well, so don't renounce all your money, your fame, your power, your reputation like the cynics did, but do... If you want to, crack on. I mean, yeah, if you want to, but just generally maybe don't. Don't get consumed by uh, power and the lust for being what you're not and what other people are. Just have a happy medium. So... But we're still going to say this quote is brilliant. Yeah, it's still brilliant. It's just uh, you be you is, right. I think, what it's to go for. YOLO. That's entirely the wrong. No, that's that's not. Do you, do you know what YOLO means? You only live once. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just checking. Right. <laughs> right. For me, though, that's all I've got today, Jamie. It's all I've got as well. But thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with more news, innovations, marketing explained, and, of course, brilliant or bonkers. Have a good week. Bye for now. See you later. Leave the clapping in. That was good. Yeah.